You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. From time to time on the show, you may have heard me talk about the Tuxedo Project, which is the nonprofit literary center and community center that I have started in the home that my family lived in when I was born in 1970 near Livernois and Grand River. Uh, If you want to know more about the Tuxedo Project, hear about how I dreamt up this solution for a home that had become blighted in the middle of a very desperately poor neighborhood, you can come to the Urban Consulate tonight at 6 o'clock. I will be there with Rose Gorman, who is the Tuxedo Project Literary Fellow, and we're going to talk about the Tuxedo Project and the idea of lifting forgotten spaces in the city to higher Heights, the thing that I think challenges all of us here in the city of Detroit. Think of all of the places that we have left behind or forgotten and all of the things that they need. Uh, The Tuxedo Project is my small attempt to turn things in a different direction in one neighborhood. Uh, And we're going to talk about how that might be applied to other places in the city. We're going to talk for a short time, and then we'll answer questions, and uh, we'll sit around afterward and maybe have a beverage and talk a little more. Also, don't forget, next week, we are up at Mackinac Island uh, for the Mackinac Policy Conference. We will be broadcasting live from the dining room at the Grand Hotel on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday morning. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that as we talk to all of the big decision makers around the state, uh, politicians, business people, nonprofit leaders who travel north every year to try to sort out some of the problems that we have in our state. Okay, today we continue WDET series, Policy Meets the People, where we dive deeper into issues you told us matter the most to you. This week, we're going to take a look at transportation. Our city, county, and state officials have struggled for years to find a comprehensive, equitable, and regional transit plan. Still, the opportunity to build something grand in Metro Detroit remains. That's where we want to start our transit conversation today, with opportunity. The mayor of Bogota, Colombia, helped reinvent that city and lead the world in a form of mass transportation that could solve a lot of issues that are faced by cities like Detroit. It's called bus rapid transit. It's a system that provides much of the allure of train travel while using the infrastructure and autonomy of the automobile. Enrique Peñalosa came to Detroit a few years ago to speak with stakeholders in the city's mobility sector. He spoke with Detroit Today senior producer Laura Weber-Davis about rethinking travel in and around a city. He says his interest in city design began when he was just a child. So I was always interested in equity and uh, happiness and uh, development. And uh, in uh, when I was in college, it became evident that uh, socialism was a failure, mm-hmm. and uh, economic development would come sooner or later. But also, at, by that time, my father was head of uh, Habitat, the United Nations Conference on Human Settlements, and the cities in Latin America and in Colombia, in particular, are growing like five percent per year. And it became more and more clear to me that 
economic development would come sooner or later, but the way we did cities would determine happiness for hundreds of years to the future. If we were able to save land for a park, it would uh, make people happier for hundreds of years. And if we w did not save that land for a park, it would be very difficult, if not impossible, to demolish 20 hectares of city in the future to open up parks. So when we were creating cities, we were creating a way of life which could be happier. Later, I was a very poor st graduate student in Paris, and this reinforced totally this view because I was extremely poor and I lived in a very small room, no shower, nothing, and uh, I had to go into a shared toilet with many other rooms. But I was extremely happy because I had Paris. A good city has a tremendous power to construct inclusion and well-being. Well, so was did that kind of fuel your vision for Bogota then? I mean, I think bef the, the previous mayors before you left uh, the city in good financial standing, from my understanding, but then you, you were ready to take it to the next level? Well, there was no vision whatsoever what to do with the city. Mm -hmm. It was had never, the things we did had never even been discussed. Uh, to me, it was clear that we had to make a city for people, but it was extremely difficult because when I got there, it was a 7 million inhabitant city. Maybe there was not one single block where, where uh, somebody in a wheelchair could go from one corner to the other because there were no sidewalks or the sidewalks were totally taken over by cars, by parked cars. So uh, it was not so much an issue of money, but an issue of a different vision. We did some things that were very new. For example, not only did we take out hundreds of and tens of thousands of cars out of sidewalks and made sidewalks, uh, which was an extremely politically difficult decision, mm. extremely difficult. I was almost impeached. Over sidewalks. Over getting space for people and getting cars out of sidewalks, giving more, b making bigger sidewalks. Uh, and uh, I, at one point, I had 85% negative image. Wow. Uh, happily, by the end of my very short term, I had the highest positive image a mayor has ever had in Bogota. Oh. But we did some things that were actually very new because we are talking about this is uh, more than 15 years ago. And we did, for example, more than 300 kilometers of protected bikeways. When there was not a meter of bikeways in London or in New York or in Paris or in Madrid, and we did. And so Bogota, we also did uh, uh, some things which are still new here. For example, I did, uh, we did uh, more than 70 kilometers of bicycle highways. Hmm. This is like... Uh, roads only for bicycles, three lines, sometimes where the city was just growing. Uh, this is about 50 miles in a very dense city, because, by the way, Bogota is one of the most dense cities in the world. Uh, and we did some some infrastructures only being thought about today. And we also did the, the public transport, for example. The bus rapid transit? The bus rapid, which, mm -hmm. uh, of course, it was invented in Curitiba, but it had not had any impact in the world. Curitiba invented BRT in 1974, hmm. uh, and by the year 2000, uh, nothing had been done anywhere else in the world. And we did an improved system on the Curitiba system, and it has had a tremendous impact all over the world. 
hundreds of missions have gone to Bogota today. The Bogota Transmilenio, as we call the BRT, uh, it moves more passengers our direction. It means has higher capacity than all of the world's subways, <laughs> except for four or five. Uh, it has it moves more passengers our direction than any subway in China or in Europe. Uh, but uh, what I think all of this is we were trying to make a city more equitable. Sure. Because, for example, sidewalks, especially in a city in a developing country where people lower-income people have no cars, is not only a, a means to respect human dignity, to show respect for human life, to show that human life is sacred, but it's also a means of constructing equity. So you basically have to construct a way for everyone, no matter their income level, to get from point A to B safely. Yes, not just to get from point A to B, because I would say sidewalks are not a means to go from one point A to point B. Sure. Sidewalks, this is exactly one of the big issues, because when we were getting cars out and getting rid of parking bays and making sidewalks bigger, people would say, oh, there is enough space to park cars as well as for people to walk by. Mm -hmm. And so we had to even have some TV commercials saying, look, sidewalks, we think of sidewalks as relatives of streets because they live next to each other. However, sidewalks are very different from streets, which are useful for <coughs> cars going from point A to point B. Sidewalks are not for getting from point A to point B. Sidewalks are for talking, for playing, for uh, kissing, Sidewalks are much closer relatives of parks or plazas than they are of streets. Mm. Then to say that there is enough space in a sidewalk to park cars as well as for people to walk by is, as, is equivalent to saying that we could turn the main park or the main plaza in a city into an open-air parking lot <laughs> so long as we leave enough space between cars for people to walk by. <laughs> so... Uh, Clearly, uh, for example, I was just here in Detroit. I have been here for 10 minutes. I mean, out of my <laughs> hotel. I came last night, so I'm not an expert in Detroit. But, for example, you you have giant streets. I mean, some of these local streets, you could fit four trailer trucks one next to each other. Sure. But what is amazing is sometimes you have cars parked and the the Park cars, not even the moving cars, they have more space than the sidewalk. So the most valuable resource a city has is road space. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's public space in general, but road space in particular, the space between buildings. Uh, how should we distribute such street, such space? I mean, if we were to find oil or diamonds underground in Detroit, it would not be as valuable as road space. And this road space belongs to everybody equally. It does not belong more to somebody in a luxury car than to a child or to a low-income person without a car. So how to distribute such road space between pedestrians, bicyclists, public transport, and cars? This is, this is one of the most important urban questions. For example, why not? I mean, for example, who said that cars have a right to park in the street? Did anybody decide this? I mean, this... Uh, uh, or is it just common practice? 
I mean, right. did anybody vote? You know, <laughs> I mean, why not have bigger sidewalks? For example, here in Detroit, it seems to me you could take out half the street space to make a giant pedestrian, tree-lined pedestrian promenade. And it would be a revolution. You know, I was thinking, so it's a... It's a like, are you talking about a mi- some sort of mixed-use promenade where everybody is sharing the same spaces? Mixed-use, but not including cars. Yeah. Bicycles, people. Bicycle yeah. and pedestrians. I mean, the, the, you know, let's go back to what is a city. I w- rem- again, a city is a means to a way of life. Mm-hmm. When we design a city, what we really are designing is a way of life. So what is a good city? This is the first issue. What, the first issue. What is a good city? You know, sometimes we are so used to things that are horribly wrong that we think they are normal. I think cities today, what I'm trying to say, are not just a little wrong. They are totally wrong. They are horribly wrong. And maybe in the future, we should have every other street should be only for pedestrians and bicycles, maybe public transport. As you said, you've only been in Detroit for a few minutes, but you've been in many cities in America uh, and spent quite a bit of time up here. I just, I'm curious, how do you sell a bus rapid transit system to people who think that a train system would be sexier or uh, that buses, you know, that they can't separate the idea of what buses are in the modern city from what they could be? Well, yes, this is very interesting. Uh, first, let's talk about, we are going to go, the opposite way. I mean, first about marketing and later about why the justification for BRT. Sure. Perception is very important, in, in especially in transport. For some reason, you know, people will pay $400,000 for a car, which if they were blindfolded, they would not recognize the difference with a $50,000 car. Why? Because status, cars are so la- linked to status, mobility, so linked to status, uh, you see, more almost all advertisement for cars is linked to status uh, and transport too. You know, but let's let's go a little bit into the past. In 1940, every city in the planet had trams, trams all over the place, uh, and it was the opposite as today. People thought trams were crappy; they were a system for the poor. They were uh, overloaded, they were slow, they were, I mean, horrible. Mm-hmm. And then buses appeared, and buses were the new, the cool thing, sexy, you know. And it's interesting to know that buses appeared like about almost 30 to 40 years later after cars, because it's a long story, but basically, initially, 1910, there was no technology for pneuma- new pneumatics, for tires, for heavy vehicles. Mm-hmm. So the only way to have tires was with solid rubber. And, uh, and then in 1910, all streets in all cities were done like in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. They were cobblestone. Mm-hmm. So imagine a solid rubber wheel going on cobblestones. It would be impossible. So the only way to have a smooth ride was trams. You know, you had cars, but... So when buses appeared towards 1935 or something in significant uh, technologies, then in a matter of 10 years or 15 years, trams disappeared. Mm -hmm. 
And not just because of this cute story that General Motors bought out some tram lines and scrapped them. And they, no, because trams were assumed to be crappy for the poor. And so buses were the modern, the cool thing. Of course, the really cool thing were cars. But in terms of public transport, buses were clearly much cooler than trams. They were the modern. The cool. So in the same way now, it's the opposite. Now, people identify buses with uh, the Colombians, the Mexicans, the African-Americans, the poor people in society. And if you want a cool uh, uh, BMW driving yuppie to use public transport, then we assume we have to give him a tram because that's cool. But buses <laughs> are buses are for, for Latinos and for, for blacks and things, you know. So, uh, so it's a matter of marketing. But actually... A BRT system, a bus, has many advantages over rail, and it costs much more. It's, to be honest, it's a little irrational that a city that is in such financial straits as Detroit will invest in trams that do less than buses and cost much more. You know, we have to be a little rational when you make when we make investments. Buses have higher capacity, more flexibility. And they can have the same impact. But when we talk about BRT, it's a totally different right. system than a tram. A BRT, as I say, it will increase uh, property prices, will attract investment. For example, uh, and tr- why is, has buses advantage? Not only lower cost, it's much more flexible because they can leave the tracks and change routes. Right. For example, in San Francisco, I was the other day going in the tunnel and the and the from going from across the bay, and these trams, they break down very often, and once a tram breaks down, it takes three or four hours to get them out of the way, and then if you had a bus, the bus just would, would drive around it, the mm-hmm. other one, you know, mm-hmm. but then the tram is a pain to get it out of the way, so clearly this is why we call the. The system, the bus system in Bogotá, Transmilenio, to make it sexier. It's part of the marketing. We have to make buses sexy. But again, when I'm talking about buses, it's a totally different system than the traditional bus line. Actually, this is a subway with buses, which can have, we have two and three-bodied buses uh, on exclusive lanes. People pay when they go into a station. Mm -hmm. So when a bus arrives, the station opens four or six doors, and you can uh, align uh, 80 people and get into the bus, 80 people like in, a train. in seconds. Exactly like a subway. Yeah. Exactly. A committee of 12-year-old children would find out in 20 minutes that the most efficient way to use scarce road space is with exclusive lanes for buses. Uh, and so I think maybe Detroit can has can see this problems it has had a great opportunity to take risks and do radical crazy things like for example they have the space of streets away from cars to do some fantastic pedestrian promenades or to do a radically different urban design and experiments which could not just it turned it through i mean this would be very difficult to do it in a very dynamic uh, city that is working fine like chicago but detroit could take those risks i mean i i think uh, it is an interesting opportunity to create a different way of life and to create a city that will become an example to to the world. That was Detroit Today senior producer Laura Weber Davis talking with the mayor of Bogota, Enrique Peñalosa, about bus rapid transit. 
up next, we're going to continue the conversation about buses here in the city of Detroit and the metro region. And we want to hear from you. Do you use the bus system in the area? Would you use it if it made sense for your commute? Are you a car person forever? Stay with us on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the stigma that exists around people who use the bus and other forms of mass transit. Will people in Metro Detroit, especially middle and upper class suburbanites, ever embrace the idea of buses as a reliable, effective, and modern mode of transportation? Why is there so much pushback? against buses, especially modern bus rapid transit systems that look and feel nothing like the clunky bus systems we're accustomed to. How are other cities around the country getting buy-in from residents around expanding bus systems as well as other modes of mass transit? We want to hear from you about that. We are looking for people to share their transportation stories as part of our coverage around how policy impacts transportation in Metro Detroit. You can comment on pinned Facebook post at uh, facebook.com slash WDETFM, or you can send an email to WDETmail at wayne.edu. And of course, we want to hear from you on the program as well. The number, as always, on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. And joining us now to continue the conversation about transit and buses in particular is Laura Bliss. She is a staff writer at City Lab who covers transportation, infrastructure, and the environment. She authored a piece recently titled Love the Bus, Save Your City. Laura, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Mm -hmm. Also with us is Quinn Kleinfelter. He is a senior editor here at WDET, and he's leading a series of stories and conversations this week on transit in Metro Detroit as part of our Policy Meets the People series. Quinn, welcome to the studio. Pleasure to be here, Steve. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Quinn, let's start with you. Uh, let's talk about the role that buses play in the RTA plan that uh, they're trying to get under the ballot this fall. Last time in 2016, that was a huge part of the sell was that we were going to build this infrastructure of uh, bus rapid transit routes around the, the region. Where Where is that in this plan? It's still basically the same thing. Uh, when you talk to various city officials in Detroit and elsewhere, they'll say that really in this metro region, there's not much that you can get in terms of public transit other than buses. They said that uh, already the freeways and the roads are at maximum capacity for cars and that it's really not going to work with the kind of infrastructure we have here to try to create any kind of a subway system or anything. Mm -hmm. You talk to the people that started and run the queue line, and they'll say that even though it was sold to begin with as something that could possibly go out to Pontiac or maybe out to the metro airport, that really it's more an example than anything, that a public-private partnership can actually work in this area. 
and that uh, they could hope that there could be something in the future, but that the queue line itself is not going to necessarily be any uh, saving grace in terms of transportation. Mm -hmm. So it basically is the bus system. And what they have tried to change in this particular new plan especially is to try to give some people more control over how they could spend funding. Uh, There were concerns about the people that opted out of the uh, initial plan that they put out uh, because... Uh, and then and opted out of the smart system, the suburban bus system as well, uh, because they said that uh, they would have almost empty buses go through their city. Now, why are we paying for something where, you know, there's somebody that maybe one person is going to ride, and in the meantime, we're subsidizing it for the city of Detroit? Mm-hmm. They've tried to put in a little bit more local control this time to try to get around that particular uh, pr- uh, concern. But uh, uh, apart from that, uh, basically buses and, and the faster buses, such as the, the quote, fast express buses mm-hmm. that Smart has started on a couple of lines, those seem to be really what is in the future for transit in, in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Laura Bliss, uh, we should say that City Lab is launching Bus to the Future, which is an ongoing series that puts public coaches at the center of the transportation future. Talk about this tension between the idea of trains, which lots of cities have started to invest in in pretty big numbers, including uh, here in the city of Detroit, where we have a new, very short train line running up Woodward Avenue. Uh, But the tension between that and investment in buses, which sometimes uh, makes a little more sense to just get people around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right, we've seen a number of cities um, over the last few years across the U.S., um, including L.A., Seattle, Denver, um, pass really quite significant um, transit referenda, right, and largely to build out light rail um, or, or other types of rail systems. Um, and, you know, part of the reason is that, yeah, I mean, trains can be for sure a more efficient, you know, higher capacity uh, mode for carrying lots of people across um, longer distances. But also there is such a thing as I think you're sort of alluding to is um, <laughs> what people in the transportation policy world like to call rail bias, right? <laughs> it's just kind of knee jerk idea that the, you know, trains are, are somehow cleaner, they're smoother, they're safer, Um and, uh, you know, me- meanwhile, the, the bus is sort of associated with the opposite of all those qualities. And, and there, may, there may be some truth, right? You know, if you have a train on a fixed track, it's, it might be more likely to, you know, arrive more frequently and reliably, and it's going to be a less bumpy ride. But um, there is actually no reason that buses can't um, also be frequent, reliable, clean, uh, pleasant places to be. It's just kind of how we've um, ended up treating them in, uh-huh. in many of our cities. And, and there are race and class considerations that can that surround this discussion, I think. I mean, this idea that the bus is for poor people, the bus is for uh, black people or brown people. And if I'm white and live in the suburbs, maybe I don't want to be bothered with that. That's That's the difficult part of this discussion to have, Quinn. Yes. Uh, in, in fact, uh, 20 years, 20 long years ago when I first got here, um, I wanted to reduce the carbon footprint, all the great stuff back then. So I wound up taking just about every mode of public transportation that is in Detroit mm-hmm. now, from buses to cabs to Uber and Lyft nowadays. And that was the first thing I was warned about, you know, is that we make cars in Detroit 
And so the only people that take the bus are people that are too poor or too downtrodden and can't afford a car. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that's a, a preconception that has gone along uh, even with the professionals in the transportation business. I, I've been a bit surprised. Uh, there were cab drivers that would go through, and if they saw somebody trying to flag them down and there were two people standing together of whatever race, uh, they would go right by. And I'd say, well, why don't you pick up those guys? And they said, because if there's two guys in Detroit, at least one should have a car. Wow. So they would just zip right by. So it's very much, you know, the Motor City, but it's the personal motorized Motor City. Right. Uh, Laura Bliss, are there cities that are looking at reinvestment in in buses, even if they have trains? Uh, Are they sort of thinking, well, this is a this is something we've got to pay attention to as well? Yeah, there absolutely are. Um, I've recently done um, quite a bit of reporting on Seattle um, which is one of uh, just two or three cities across the United States that have recently seen bus ridership numbers go up, because um, uh-huh. that's sort of part of the story here. Bus systems um, are really in decline um, over the last couple of years um, nationwide. They're at the right ridership is at the lowest point. It's been in about 30 years. Um, but Seattle is a really interesting case, um, and, and you might be thinking, okay, this is like a progressive haven, right? There might be probably great transit systems there. Um, and in fact, that's just not the case. Um, sort of like Detroit, historically, Seattle had turned down um, proposition after proposition to build out a rail system. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a couple decades ago. Um, but it's really been a car-reliant city until pretty recently when there's been enormous job growth there, right? Um, Amazon, of course, is famously based there. And so the city has really by force um, had to build out and really seriously invest in its bus system. And I, and I think one of the key things to take away from Seattle is not just increasing service, um, as other cities have done, but you know haven't necessarily seen the same increases in, in ridership. Mm-hmm. Um, but they really, what they focus on in Seattle is the frequency of their buses. Um, so most kind of fascinatingly, they've actually increased the number of households, excuse me, the, the percent of households within a 10-minute walk of 10-minute or better transit service, mm-hmm. so that's buses arriving every 10 minutes or less, from 25% to 64% between 2015 and 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that focus on frequency really gives people the confidence that the bus is going to show up, right, which you is can, one of the big yeah, unknowns. You can get where you're going service. on time, sure. Yeah, you can get where you're going, and, and I think that's helped build confidence in the system overall. Yeah. I, I will say as someone who lived in Chicago, uh, where lots of people are really familiar with the L, the elevated trains that, that help get people around, that system depends on buses. I mean, it's it's a very interconnected system. You can't get everywhere on the L. And in fact, uh, you, you need to be able to take the buses to, to get sort of connecting uh, to connecting points. And there as well, it's the the reliability of that bus system that, that makes it worse, that makes it work. You know the bus is coming. You're not standing there forever waiting for it. Go ahead, Quinn. Yeah, no, I've taken the L a lot of times too, and you're quite right. One of the things studies show that's a little surprising though, is not only that the bus shows up on time, but how many you have to take. That's they, right. They said it really, you know, here there's so many people that will have to switch from one to the other to the mm-hmm. other, especially if you're an outerlying neighborhood in the city. Uh, there are a lot of studies that show that the more changes in modal transportation you make, the less you like the service. Yeah. So you might drive to a park and ride, jump on the bus, and go wherever you're going to go. 
and, and you're happy with that. But if you actually have to switch to a second bus and then a third bus or whatever, suddenly your love for public transit drops dramatically. Yeah, it becomes inconvenient. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Dan in Oxford. Dan, welcome to Detroit Today. I've only got about a minute left, but I wanted to squeeze you into the conversation. Yeah, yeah I'll make it quick. In Denver, they have a, these called these flat load buses mm-hmm. where the, the, the curbs are somewhat raised so that the bus is even with the, so like a subway, when you walk yeah, into the bus. Yeah, you just walk onto it. I've seen that. There's no bump, and it's good for people, not just people with wheelchairs, but for older people and handicapped people. And it's just cool because you feel more like you're on a subway. Mm-hmm. And they also have, in the downtown streets, they have, it's free. Like, they just picked the big routes, especially for the tourist routes. Right. Um, and you just... You literally step out of your hotel and you and, 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 and you step onto this thing and it just takes you everywhere downtown you want to go. And they started to extend it outside of the downtown mm-hmm. um, for longer routes. But I don't know if they have the flat load all, you know, and the farther out ones. But when you're in the city, it's, it's amazingly yeah. convenient because yeah. Dan, you don't you Dan, just step onto the bus. Right. Dan, like thanks subway. very much uh, for the call. We're, we're running out of time here, but I, but I appreciate that example. And it's one of the things uh, that we could be thinking about doing here in Metro Detroit if we get our act together. All right. Uh, Laura Bliss, staff writer for City Lab. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm. Also, Quinn Kleinfelter, senior editor at WDET. Thanks for coming in to talk Thank about you. this. Thank you, Steve. And you can follow our Policy Meets the People series at WDET.org. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>